0: Luke chapter 22. And I'm going to ask you to also put your finger in Matthew chapter 26. Luke chapter 22. And we're going to read from verse 47 down through verse 53. Of course this is speaking of the Savior in the garden that night before he goes to Calvary. And the scripture says and while he yet spake, behold a multitude and he that was called Judas one of the twelve Went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest. And cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said. Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests. And captains of the temple. And the elders. Which were come to him. Be ye come out as against a thief. With swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple. He stretched forth no hands. Against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 26 with me, a few verses there, beginning at verse 51, reading of the same moment. And the scripture says, And behold, One of them, which were with Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword, and struck a servant of the high priests, and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that thus it might must be. In that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and staves, or to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and ye laid no, laid no hold on me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. May the Lord add his own blessing to the reading of his word for Jesus' sake. This morning I want us to concentrate our thinking on those words that are found in Luke 22 verses 50 and 51. Where it speaks of the servant of the high priest having his ear taken off by the sword but the Lord Jesus in compassion healing him. And I want to consider with you what I am calling the last healing. The last healing. But Before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to bless us and to speak to us from his word. Our Father and our God, we would pray now that for Jesus' sake, you will take the word through the power of the Spirit of God and apply it to us Speak to us, open our hearts, feed us with the living bread. Oh God, we pray that you will allow us to know a ministry in our hearts that does for us what is needed, that we too might be healed by the hand of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless then, undertake for us. I pray you'll help me as your servant, guide thought and word, Oh God, we pray that the Lord Jesus would be lifted up. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Amen. I want to consider an incident this morning that sometimes gets treated as if it is a side note to the Lord's arrest and subsequent crucifixion by sinful men. The subject at hand is the healing of the ear of the high priest's servant. Malchus, as John names him, for he evidently knew him. Malchus was by all evidences a man whose life was dedicated to serving one that was the embodiment of falseness, hypocrisy, and dishonesty. Indeed, John the Baptist described that pack of Jews that surrounded the leaders of the Sanhedrin as a generation of vipers. Malchus, the servant of the high priest, was a facilitator of the wishes of such men. He made things happen. But as we read, this same man felt the blow of a sword and the agony of a severed ear. But he also knew the complete healing and removal of pain by the Lord Jesus. What is more astounding than the fact that the Lord Jesus healed this would-be murderous servant of hypocrisy is the fact that this healing was the last healing of any man on earth by the Lord. No other mention is made in Scripture of the Lord's healing ministry going on past this point. We might ask the question, well, why so? Why were there no other gracious and merciful help seen after this point? Well, the, perhaps the answer is one of two things, and maybe even both. Number one, all healings that were performed by the Lord Jesus during his days in which he walked amongst men were but pictures and lessons of what the Lord Jesus had come to do In the greater sense of healing for the souls of his people. You might even ask this question. Why did the sacrifices stop? It's for the same reason. The answer is that the fulfillment of what those sacrifices taught was seen in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Why did his healing stop? Well, he fulfilled the the greater healing at Calvary. But also, the last healing involved the healing of an enemy who was at war with God. Here was a benighted sinner who sought to destroy the prince of life. Malchus was certainly a representation of us all before the mercy of God found us. What an appropriate last picture Of what the Lord Jesus was doing by the cross. Here was the last healing in picture. But it was the beginning of the hour. In which the greatest healing was to occur. I want us to think then. About this moment. About what happened here in the garden. At midnight as it were. In the darkness of that place as those came against the Lord with swords and staves and torches. I'm going to think about this in three ways. First, I want you to consider with me the unique nature. The unique nature of this healing that took place that night. The only mention of the Lord's healing of Malchus' ear is found in Luke's account. Peter's sword work is mentioned elsewhere. But the intervention of the Lord to heal the wound produced by that sword is not. Only in Luke's gospel is this mentioned. In fact, the healing of Malchus is unlike any other healing that we see in the ministry of the Lord. It is entirely unique. Nothing occurred Elsewhere, like this. We say, well, how so? First, in this healing, we see no faith. We see no faith. In this instance, there was no moment of hearing the instructive words of the Lord Jesus, a matter that was common To almost all of the recorded healings by the Lord. The Lord first taught. The Lord first explained about himself. The Lord explained about the nature of God and God's requirements of the hearts and souls of men. And then he would heal. There was in this instance no reflection on the truth that was set before the needy. There was no consideration of the need of the Lord's intervention. There was no cry here in this garden. Son of David, have mercy. None of that. The most striking part of this moment, and one that we should hold in our minds as we consider this moment, is that not only was there no faith in the one that was healed, what there was can only be called hatred. Malchus, it appears because of his proximity to the Lord, his nearness to the Lord and Peter, was at the forefront of the line of those that wanted to kill the Lord. There was hatred. There was purposeful desire that the Lord Jesus would be destroyed by this man. There was no faith and yet he was healed. The second thing you could say was unique about this situation is the fact that there was violence. Violence. The wound that was healed by the Lord on that night was the only wound that we ever read of as one received by violence. Here was, yes, an open, gory, painful wound that must have resulted in an outward cry if not curses from malice now let me just say this is an observation of life and some of you know what I'm talking about you seldom hear cursing and swearing like that which comes from an ungodly man who is hurt let an ungodly man get hurt and what do you hear Some of you can nod the head. Yeah, I know what you're talking about there. Malchus was an ungodly man. Malchus had his ears severed. Can you imagine? So, I say, the healing was likely received by one who was blaspheming God to his very face. Oh, think about the Lord Jesus in that moment. What glory shone from the face of the one who had been sweating great drops of blood. And I say truly here in this incident, you have a fulfilling of the words that are spoken of in Psalm 85, verse 10, which it says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. The Lord Jesus in the presence of an ungodly, blasphemous man heals him nevertheless. The Lord Jesus did not despise the bloody mess that covered the side of this man's head. The Lord Jesus in mercy reached forth to heal what others recoil from. It's also somewhat amazing that both the man and the crowd allowed the healing to even happen. Wouldn't they see any further action by the Lord as hostile? Perhaps akin to what Peter had just done? They didn't. They didn't. Here it was a unique healing in that there was no faith. It was a healing in the midst of violence. But third, it was a healing that occurred after blundering. Blundering. The healing was the answer to the blundering zeal of an unthinking disciple. Matthew Poole makes the observation you know, Peter asked if he should use the sword. Peter, however, did not wait to get an answer from the Lord. Peter acted on his own understanding, according to his own thinking, after his own desires and initiative. You know, you think about the folly of Peter. Now, I, I will say this on his. I don't think that there's a doubt but that Peter saw this moment as the fulfilling of his oath to die for the Lord. But he was going to take on a crowd, many of which were skilled swordsmen. All by himself. Now, if you take the accounts of others of the of the writers of the gospels, the crowd that could have been assembled that night could have been as many as five hundred. So here's Peter. He's taking this sword and he's pulling it out. He asked the Lord, it's it almost feels like Peter is saying, Lord, watch me. And he goes and the, the other thing is, you see how unskilled Peter is because I'm sure that he was aiming right for the middle of the man's head and could not even get the sword to the right place. It was a blunder from start to finish. But the Lord healed. Harry Ironside makes the observation, he, he says this, How busy we keep the Lord putting on ears that we in our mistaken zeal cut off. Blundering. You know, the Lord often undid blunders of his servants, and he still does. Hallelujah. In fact, honesty would compel us to admit that most of us, in all that we do, is blundering. I mean, really, when you're honest before God, can you think of anything that you've ever done for the Lord that was anything other than a blunder in many ways? Well... The Lord perfectly solved the matter. Created by the rash actions of a loyal but wrong acting disciple. And that's what he does for us. That's what he does for us. All of our services are, for him are so oftentimes filled with a lack of understanding, a lack of even sense, filled with self, rash, The Lord heals in spite of us. It was a unique healing. There was no faith. It was a healing because of violence. It was a healing that took place based or because of the blundering of his disciple. But it was also this it was a healing that saw no glory to God given. No glory to God given the healing was done in a moment in which there would be no glory offered from the mouth of the one who received it or the ones that saw it but rather on the opposite side of things there was instead of the giving glory of god or glory to god there was the seizing and the binding of the hands of the one who administered the healing you know other occasions when the lord healed those that witnessed offered exclamations of thanks or worship. There were even confessions affirming that what was seen had not been seen before. But not now. Again, truly this healing was unique for it was done in the blackness of night to one who would remain in darkness as an enemy of God. Perhaps that blackness would be forever. In fact, my imagination can even see, perhaps, when the crowd was gathered before Pilate, who stood in his judgment seat, as it were. And the voices were lifted against the Lord. You wonder, who perhaps was the loudest calling out, crucify him, crucify him. Could it have been Malchus? You say, well, surely not. Well, here's my thought. You know, I, it would, I would be Im- imagining that the high priest himself, who would have been there, wanting the Lord to be crucified, in his pompous self-righteousness, would see it beneath himself or beneath his office. To yell out himself for the crucifixion of the Lord. He would stand back with hands folded looking very pompous, all the while prodding his servant. Yell for me! You can imagine that Malchus was the cheerleader calling for the crucifixion of Christ. A unique healing to a very unworthy man. I want you to see second with me. The unmoved observers. We saw the unique healing, but I want you to or the unique nature of the healing, but I want you to see the unmoved observers. When the crowd first comes to take the Lord, he asks them for whom they have come. Do you remember what happens? It doesn't say it in Luke, but do you remember elsewhere what happens when he says, they say, We're coming for Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I'm he. What happens? Do you remember? The scripture says that they all fall backwards to the ground. I love that. (laughs) I love that. But here. You find that things changed. Evidently they bolstered up their courage as it were. And what you have here is a remarkable and appropriate happening uh, with them falling back to the ground but it changes when they see the power of god that healed the servant's ear which was an astounding mercy as an astounding moment how does this happen that a man can touch a disattached ear and by a touch Make it not only so that it is reattached, but it is perfectly sound. How does that happen? You'd think there would be some consideration there. But we see that the entirety of the crowd is unmoved by it. Let me just mention to you, men who see the power and mercy of God don't always count it as anything of worth but rather they carry on with their wicked ways. J.C. Ryle makes this statement. He says, it is an extraordinary proof of the wickedness and hardness of our Lord's enemies that so wonderful a miracle as this could be wrought without any effect being produced on them. Here, I say, is indeed the full view of Man's depravity, where it is, where it leads him. You think about it. Who could do what was done that night to heal the ear of the servant? He healed them right before their eyes. Who could do that except God himself? Would not men fear to follow through on a mission that saw the power of God? Again, here's a lesson in the depravity of man. Man, before God's mercy finds him, is utterly dead because of sin. And any man can be faced with the power of God ten times over. Even to the destruction of a kingdom. And still determined that he will defy God. Can I give you an example? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Pharaoh saw the power of God ten times over and was willing to defy God even to the destruction of his own kingdom. I might even say this, that this whole picture that we have here is not just an outward definition of the word insanity, but it is an outward proof of the frenzied mental breakdown that results from rebellion against God. Any man who is determined to rebel against God will not be ever be in his right mind. Rebellion against God's law always leads to irrational and violent ends. You think about it. How could the soldiers strike the Lord or spit on him? How could they beat him about the head with reeds? How could they unhesitatingly drive nails through his hands and feet. I'd say this is not a hard question to answer. What you see from these men is what lies in the heart of a man without God's redeeming grace. This is the extent of depravity. We ought not to be surprised that men are so monstrous. We have questions that, happen, that are happening even before our eyes in our, in our day to day. that shows how monstrous men are. You know what I'm talking about. In this country we have many things, not the least of which is millions of babies that are being murdered. How, how, can, how can a man do that? How is it that you can read or hear of the things that are taking place in China by the communists, to those who are opposed to the communist system. You say, what do you mean? Even the removal of organs from live humans just to harvest the organ, and then they let the person lie there and die. You say, listen, oh, yes, it has. It's, not, it's documented, well documented. How, did, how can men be so monstrous? Because the heart that is in rebellion against God will come to the place where it leads him to irrational and even violent ends. You think about the day that existed before God destroyed the world with a flood. What was the characteristic of the day? You say, well, they were ungodly. No, it was just, no. that's not the word the scripture uses. The scripture was that it was filled with violence yes these men even at seeing the healing power of Jesus Christ the power of God that ought to strike awe and fear in the heart of any man these men passed over it as nothing at all now I also have to say on the side. We might also note that there was a sense in which those that were with the Lord were also without consideration of the one with whom they stood. The disciples saw the fierce faces of those that hated Christ and it brought their cowardice to the fore. The scriptures tell us they fled. Now I want you to understand what I'm talking about Is not isolated to these men on that night. Because I believe it's very plain and very true that we too. We also can see the power of God. And not believe. They were face to face with a wonderful moment of God's power. And they did not only not believe. But then. They took the Lord. The Lord Jesus tells his disciples those that were standing with him, that he could call for angels to help him. Yet still the disciples were overwhelmed by the storm of the moment, and they forsook the Lord. I would have to ask us this question, do we see the same deadness creeping into our own hearts? That we can see and know of the power Of our Savior. And yet. We find ourselves. Doing what the disciples did. My last thought. I want us to see. The unmistakable. Prelude. The unmistakable prelude. Here is a moment. That truly begins. An hour in which the Lord Jesus. Does a work of healing. On an infinitely wider scale. Than what was seen in the garden. Can we not see that as he goes to Calvary. And has made sin for those whose hearts and minds are dead in sin. That he also heals the rebellious. Oh listen to the character. Of the Lord's work described in Psalm 68. Verse 18 thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also. That the Lord God might dwell among them. Here is a prelude. To the great work of Christ at Calvary. Whereby he delivers men. From their wound. Their deadly wound of sin. Now before we go any further on that I want us to consider the Lord's words that we read in our text here in verse 51. He says suffer ye thus far. What does that mean? I mean what could that be referring to? How does that relate to what this whole incident is about? Well there are varied opinions on this. We could ask was it a request of the Lord to the enemies, to let his disciples go free? What you're coming to do is enough. You're going to take me, but let my disciples go free? Was it perhaps a word to the sword-wielding disciple to put up the sword and let the Lord Jesus be taken by the crowd? Suffer ye thus far, Peter. Peter possible perhaps another thought is that it was a word spoken by the Lord Jesus to those enemies gathered to give him but a moment to heal the wounded man before they bound him and took him away well I say no matter which way it is seen the point is the same The Lord was saying that he would allow himself to be taken to judgment. That there would be a healing for those of whom. He would be merciful. You say why are you bringing this out? I want you to just understand. This is a picture of how the Lord Jesus. Faces your sin. He sees it for what it is he sees the pain the agony the gore if you will spiritually that occurs because of it but here you see the Lord Jesus willing to say wait I am going to heal here is the Lord Jesus in the face of sin death and hell standing forward to heal when healing was not deserved and the heart of a blasphemer was in full view. Let me ask you a question. Do you deserve the ministry of mercy by the Lord Jesus? Do you deserve it? Is that going to keep him from helping you though? Oh, I say, here was a terrible, terrible servant of sin rescued from his miserable deserts. Is this any different than what the Lord Jesus did for any of us when he went to Calvary? He rescued you, a miserable blasphemer. Oh, I was in the blasphemer. Oh, yes, you were. But he rescued you while you were in darkness. While you did not have thoughts concerning him. As Isaiah 53 said. We despised him. We counted him as rejected of God. We counted him as one who was to be set off to the side. As rejected entirely. Oh I say this very plainly. Hear me as I say it. You and I are Malchus. You are just as he was, but for the grace of God. You deserve the sword of the Lord to find you if you will not repent. That's what you deserve. Malchus didn't deserve to have his ear cut off. He had deserved to have his head cut off. It's just that Peter was no good with the sword. You deserve the judgment of God, don't you? I mean, you sit here, you may think, well, this is just... This is just preaching. I ask you to answer this question. You deserve the judgment of God, don't you? Why don't you know the judgment of God? Because there's a healer. There's one who stands forward even in the place where he knows what's going to happen to him and says, I will heal the broken heart. I'll set the captive free. Christ, Jesus, is our healer. Whatever the need, whatever the corruption, he can touch that wound. My question to you this morning is, will you let him touch your ear? That you may hear his voice calling you to believe on him. What does the Lord Jesus say about Those that believe on him. To them I give eternal life. And by the way. He says. No man shall pluck you from my hand. I and my father are one. Child of God I have another question for you. We may very well see the crowd gather against the Lord Jesus. Again. Will you stand with the Lord Jesus? Will you try to use carnal weapons? What does Paul tell the Corinthians? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Are they? They're not swords. But they are those things that are appointed of God. To be used. Which when used. Are powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. You know, I think you and I had better start thinking in our minds today, given all the evidences of the way that this world is going, are you going to stand with Jesus Christ? Or will you let the fierce face of the enemy cause you to do as the disciples did now I'll tell you to be very frank you and I are no better than the disciples the difference between you and I though and those men was this happened to them all of a sudden what may be facing us is not something that's going to happen all of a sudden had they thought more about it they may have acted somewhat differently by the grace of God how is it with us Here was the Lord's last healing, at least in a physical sense. But it teaches us about ourselves. It teaches us about the nature of men. It teaches us about the faithfulness and the mercy of Christ Jesus and more particularly what he has done for us at Calvary. Oh, may the Lord bless his word to us for Jesus' sake this morning. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, We are thankful for the word. We're thankful that it teaches us that you are merciful even to the worst of men. Lord, we pray that you will help us. Help us that we might find our healings for the various things that we need from your hand. We pray also that you will help us to give good thought to where we are with you, that we might be those truly who will stand with you in the day that it will cost to stand. And we pray all this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.